Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women and today, men of faith. I'm Carly Guyman. And I'm Shailen Back. We're your co-hosts. On today's episode, we're very excited to share a few stories of remarkable women of faith and courage who were pioneering members of the church around the world. And to share these stories and the contribution of these women, we have Ryan Saltzgiver with us today. Thanks for being here, Ryan. Thank you for having me. We're so glad that you're here. Ryan is a historian and writer with the Church History Department, and he writes on the archaeology of Latter-day Saint communities and the globalization of the church. And for the past five years, he has led the Global Histories Project, which we'll be talking more about today, which publishes brief histories of the places where church members live, worship, and serve. Very cool. So Ryan, will you just introduce the Global Histories Project to our listeners and just tell us a little bit about what was the vision for Global Histories and then what's the status of it right now? Yeah, absolutely. So a few years ago, we actually started trying to compile as much as we could about the history of the church by place. So we would go to each country and we'd we'd compile it. We would had a, a massive team of missionaries that put those together. The problem was that they ended up being about 100 pages, and that is not very easily published. A whole and so, catalog. Of- <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it really, it was just like everything that we had from that place, all the oral histories, the unit histories, everything that we had. Um, which isn't very readable. And and so we decided that what we needed to do was we needed to condense those. And so we decided that we would condense those down to either four or eight pages, depending on how long we'd been there. That's not a lot of space to tell those stories. But what we do is we, we take those big histories that we had and we compile those down into a very short chronology, kind of a timeline of what's happened there, how the church got there, who the key players are, how the church has progressed. That's awesome. So, and tell us, we'll talk about this throughout and we'll include kind of in the notes of this show, but tell us where people can go if they want to read more about what they hear about today or want to read about a specific country, where do they find these histories? If you open your Gospel Library app, there's the Restoration and Church History section right there on that homepage. And then in there, there's one called uh, Global Histories, and that'll take you to the the collection that we have the other place would be online at globalhistories.churchofjesuschrist.org that's great thank you so ryan a big reason why we wanted to bring you onto the podcast is you've said that the global histories project has been very intentional in seeking out and sharing both the stories of men and women Mm -hmm. who kind of pioneered the church in their land Mm -hmm. and as a historian and documentarian what would you say after surveying kind of the stories that you've had exposure to, the people that you've kind of met through Mm -hmm. these stories, what would you say is the impact of women on the church and the growth of the church throughout the world? I mean, immeasurable. And and that's not just me trying to give you a platitude. Like, honestly, without women, I mean, obviously that's 50% of the population. So Mm -hmm. um, without women, we would be nowhere. But really in the church, we would be nowhere without the women. There have been so many times when, for other reasons, men are taken out of the picture, you know, whether it's war or it's economics or it's politics or whatever it is. And there are just so many times that there are these stalwart women who just stay where they are they support one another, they minister to each other, they reach out and share the gospel with others, and they, they really they keep the church in, in places. I, I actually like to say that the church arrives and thrives because of women. So these stories that we were reading, they're incredible. And so it's 
a major undertaking that you guys have in making these available. And we are excited today to talk about some of these. And there are some things that we do in the church today that, you know, we might even take for granted that we can attribute to the contribution of specifically women and pioneering women. And so one example of this that we were reading about is the life of Carmen O'Donnell. She's from Guatemala. Mm -hmm. And we would love to hear her story. Absolutely. So Carmen's story is one of my favorites of of all the hundreds of stories now that I've had the opportunity to uh, research and to be part of. Carmen still stands out as one that I I just absolutely love. So Carmen Galvez O'Donnell was from Retalejo, Guatemala, and she grew up in a fairly well-to-do family. And in the early 40s, she was playing ping pong at a local club with a friend of hers. And she hit the ball across the place and and was told that gringo over there wants to meet you. Um, And that was John O'Donnell. So John, her, her husband, was a member of the church. He was born in the colonies in northern Mexico. So he spoke fluent Spanish, which she didn't know when she said... surprising Right, yeah. So when she said, if he wants to meet me, he has to come over here, he understood her. (laughs) So he went over, he introduced himself. Um, And the whole time that they were courting and then during the early years of their marriage, he kept telling them, or telling her that, eventually you're going to join the church. You need to read the Book of Mormon. This is something for you. And, and these people around us, they're Lamanites. They're people who are descendants of Lehi, and we're going to teach them the gospel too. Hmm. And for a long time, she's like, I just don't get it. Her sister-in-law eventually gave her a Book of Mormon in Spanish. Uh, that was the first time she'd had one in Spanish. She read it. She's told him, I don't get it. I don't understand this. I don't understand how you understand this. And he told her to keep reading and praying. Eventually, she becomes the first person baptized in Central America. Shortly after she was baptized, she becomes the first Relief Society president in Central America. And it's not just Guatemala. It's all of Central America. Of Central America. And what year is wow. this? This is 1948. Okay. And then shortly after that, she starts teaching Sunday school lessons. And what she realized pretty quickly was the Sunday school manual was a little too complicated for people who didn't have either widespread literacy, like actually could read and write, but also gospel literacy. That mm-hmm. was the thing that she found was really lacking. Which her perspective was so important, right? right? Because right. maybe someone coming from yeah. growing up in the church wouldn't see that as, as readily. Yeah. Well, and, and she even said that she, she had won her testimony, and she'd won it through study. She, so she had sat down with the Book of Mormon, with mm-hmm. the scriptures, and she'd figured out these things. But, you know, there's things we take for granted that just repentance. What does that mean? What is faith? What's it mean to the atonement of Jesus Christ and to take advantage of that? Those are things that we take advantage of if we've grown up in the church, but you might not have if you didn't. And so what she did was she decided well, we need to simplify things. We need to teach simplified lessons. And one of their general authority friends who was visiting sat in on one of these simplified lessons that she taught and thought, that's something we need to do. And that actually led to gospel principles, which we don't do anymore, but the gospel principles mm-hmm. class Courses that was part of manual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was par- part of Sunday school for almost forty years was an idea that Carmen mm-hmm. O'Donnell had. I mean, obviously that's a, an idea others probably had as well, but that's where it took hold and, and mm-hmm. they, they went from there with that idea. She also oversaw the mission with her husband in Quetzaltenango for a time. And during that time, they talked about smaller meeting houses, the kind of modular meeting houses that you see now in places. So the O'Donnells, and and particularly Carmen, who understood what a Central American, what a Guatemalan needed, was able to adapt the gospel to them in a way that is just 
incredible. It's amazing to me that she knew their needs. I mean, this is where she was from. And once she was converted to the gospel, she just really ran with it. And Mm -hmm. she was so involved and she wanted that experience to be more accessible to everybody. And it's just amazing to me that her ideas and her contributions really influenced the way that we've worshiped and learned for so long. I just think it's so neat to learn about her. And I haven't even told you the biggest impact that she had. Oh, no, tell us. (laughs) (laughs) So she and her husband would go to these meetings in all of these little places where they'd have members who were coming from great distances. And usually they were poor and they were living at distances from town because that's where their farms were. And they'd come into meetings and it's, it's before we've consolidated meeting schedules, right? And so they're coming at 10 o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning for Sunday school. They're sticking around until that evening to go to sacrament meeting. And if they're really diligent and they're going to all of their meetings, they probably have a priesthood meeting on Monday. Relief or they have society. an MIA meeting mm-hmm. on Wednesday, Relief Society wow. meeting sometime during the week. Primaries probably on Saturday if they have kids. And so there's all of these time commitments, and each one takes them hours of walking on dirt roads to get to these meeting houses. And she said, this is unacceptable. We need to make it so that it's easier for them to come. And when they piloted the consolidated meeting block, they did it in Guatemala City, in part because of what the O'Donnells had Mm -hmm. said. And I think what inspired me most about her story is she observed and she had the insight to see you know, what these people needed and the creativity to think, how could we make this work yeah. here? And then she used her voice and and spoke up and she shared her thoughts, I'm sure, yeah. in a kind and respectful way, but sharing her ideas yeah. and observations. And that's something President Nelson has asked women to do. We need your voices. We need your yeah. your perspectives, your insights. And, and that's what she was doing to the great benefit of really members worldwide. Yeah, definitely. And that, that's one thing that I've always loved about her. She was definitely not someone to sit back and, and take a back seat. She was there with her husband as he's doing these things. You know, he's the state Very president, he's the district president, he's all these things, but she's also participating. Mm-hmm. She's being heard. Yeah, so. a great example. Yeah. So again, as we reviewed these different stories in preparation for this episode, I was really struck by the story of Florence Chukwura. And we're not going to pretend to know how to <laughs> pronounce all these names from around the world. Yeah. This woman is a member in Nigeria. And Florence reading her story, she just demonstrated so much courage and so much faith and determination. And we'd love for you to share her story and her contributions to the growth of the church in Nigeria. Yeah. So Florence, and this is something that I love about these, you get people from all walks of life, right? So where Carmen was fairly well-to-do, well-educated, had a lot of opportunity, Florence did not. Her father was in the shipping business, and so he was often gone at sea on the ships. And so her and her siblings and her mother had to take care of the home, and they were they were very, very poor. And so they, they had a lot of hard work to do. And when she was 11, she decided, though, I'm not going to be poor. I'm going to mm-hmm. work, and I'm going to get out of this, and I'm going to get an education. That's how I'm going to do that. And she said, I'm going to earnestly seek God and his help in my life. At 11, she determines that. And by the time she's 16, her father took out a loan to allow her to go to secondary school. She's graduated from secondary school, and she finds that there's a government scholarship that would allow her to go to nursing school. So she goes to nursing school. And for five years, she studies nursing and midwifery, and she comes back to her hometown, and she works as a nurse for for several years. And a woman sees that she doesn't go out and party. She doesn't go out with the men on, on the weekends. And so she introduces her to her nephew. 
Christopher. So she mm. marries Christopher Chakwara in 1972. And he also has this idea that he's going to earnestly seek God and that education is of the utmost importance. So for 10 years, they spend all their time going to churches and getting an education. And he eventually goes to the United States. He gets a degree in the United States. And meanwhile, they're, they're continuing to search. And they actually, they developed a, a tradition where every New Year's Eve, they would fast and pray together as a family for what they wanted out of the coming year. And on December 31st, 1981, they fasted and prayed for the Lord to guide them to a church. And nine days later, they both had the impression that they needed to go visit a friend. And when they visited that friend, the friend offered them a soda instead of a beer. And they said, that's weird. Why, why not a beer? And they said, well, we're, yeah. we're members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints now. We don't drink beer. Would you like to know more? And they said, absolutely. And a month later, they were baptized. So in 1982, they're baptized, and 10 years later, he becomes the president of the Accra Ghana Mission. And he and Florence go and preside. He spends most of his time helping families to, uh, and couples to make their, their marriages official and, and, and to help them get to a point where they can go to the temple. Mm-hmm. But she decides to work with children, and she spends all of her time working with children. She actually has an impression at one point that says, tell them your story. So she starts telling children all over Ghana, especially poor children, you can move past this. You can get an education. You can become what you want to be. You can do what you want, especially if you earnestly seek God in an education. And just so inspiring. Mm-hmm. As you were talking about Florence and her husband's experience, fasting and praying for which church to join, it reminded me of when Newell and Ann Whitney and Kirtland were mm-hmm. doing, they were doing the same thing and they right. were told the word of the Lord is coming to Kirtland. And Right. Joseph Smith actually came and it's just amazing because that story obviously is very prominent with Joseph Smith going to Kirtland yeah. but that was happening all over the world for these earnest seekers of God right. who truly were just wanting to know the truth and then yeah. it's amazing to hear about when they found it and then how they continued to teach people and just make these huge and major contributions it's amazing mm-hmm. yeah and I always love when you hear about someone who's just an earnest seeker after God, and God loves mm-hmm. us all. It doesn't matter you know, whether we're born into the church or whether we have to find it some other way. He's mm-hmm. going to reach out to us. And I think it's inspiring for those of us who didn't have to work quite so hard you know, to realize we need to yeah. demonstrate kind of that same earnestness in seeking truth. It, you know, We kind of expect it to just kind of fall into our laps. And I'm so inspired. They searched for 10 years together right. and Florence her whole life before that. Yeah. And no, that's just a principle I think that, that can teach us all. Mm-hmm. As we were reading through these global histories, I loved reading about a woman named Olga Kovarova. And I think many of us can relate to her first experience reading the Book of Mormon. She said, I read one page and I felt questions. And I'm just like, I still feel that way sometimes, you know, whether we're reading the Book of Mormon for the first time or for however many times I've read it, it's like, I read that page and I feel questions. (laughs) So I loved that she said that. But will you just share with us how she was introduced to the gospel and then her subsequent legacy? So everything that happened after that. Yeah, absolutely. So this is another one of just my favorites. And maybe I could just say that up all of them. But whenever I tell Olga's story, it's one of those ones that either gets one of two reactions. It either gets a gasp or a chuckle when I tell you how she was introduced to the gospel, and that's yoga. 
So she's a student. She's actually a graduate student. So this idea of like having a question while reading is something she probably hasn't experienced in a while. She's a graduate student at Masaryk University in Brno, Czechoslovakia. Um, this is during the communist era. It's in the 1980s. And she decides that she's going to take these yoga classes. And so she goes to this class taught by a man named Otokar Vojkovka. And Odakar teaches a class that he calls Christian yoga, where all of the exercises and the stretches are the same, but the principles that he's teaching are based on the Bible and the Book of Mormon. For example, hmm. he really liked to teach people that the purpose of our creation is that we might have joy. And he's clearly in Second Nephi yeah. too, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and she loved that. She latched onto that principle. And so she started lingering after classes and she would stay and talk with Odakar. Eventually she was invited to his home where she'd meet with his family and they'd have these long discussions. And a lot of times they were about life, but eventually they, they turned to the gospel. And he started loaning her books, the first couple of them about yoga. Eventually they were books about <laughs> the church. And she'd read one of them, and it, it quoted the Book of Mormon a lot. And so she went and she requested the Book of Mormon from them. And they had a copy. The, the Czech Book of Mormon was released in 1932, and so they had a copy for several years. But it was very, very hard to come by, very, very precious to the family. Hmm. So they waited until they could felt like they could really trust her, and they gave her the copy of the Book of Mormon. She sat down and started to read, and she read most of the night, but she just said, I my mind was filled with questions. And so she went back to Otakar and she said, I don't really understand why I'm having so many questions. And he said, questions are good. Keep reading and praying. And she said one night she was reading again and she said out loud, God is real. And that, that hearing her own voice say something that had just never really occurred to her was a very powerful experience. And from then on, she knew that the, the gospel was true. It took six months to be baptized. They had to wait until it's late at night and after the fishermen had all gone home from a reservoir to, to be baptized. But once she was baptized, she began teaching Christian yoga too. <laughs> so she started teaching camps all over Czechoslovakia and even into the, the era after the Velvet Revolution when it separated into the Czech Republic and Slovakia, she was still teaching these courses. But many of the early leaders of the church after communism ended in that part of the world were people who were converted through Christian yoga. More than 100 people were converted wow. through that. I love it. I love the Christian yoga. I love the <laughs> I love the impact that, um, I'm sorry, what was the instructor's name again? Odokar Vojkovka. Okay, I love the impact that he had just in his natural way of living, you know, as yeah. he was living the gospel mm -hmm. and, and as sharing he was teaching it. yoga. Mm -hmm. And he just, yeah, and how he was sharing it. It's just amazing the impact that that had. And then to hear that a hundred over 100 people were converted, you know, based on her influence and the things mm -hmm. that she was doing. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, and I, I recently t spoke with Odakar's son uh, who told me that his dad's goal was, and well, he said, if we can't have missionaries come here, then they have to be born here. And so that was his goal was to create missionaries throughout the wow. country. And Olga was probably the most successful of his missionaries. Yeah. So. Through her Christian yoga. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's amazing. So I was very impressed in reading through the histories of the church in South America that really missionary work there began due to the initiative and, and faith of several German women who moved to the region. Mm -hmm. Two stories in two different countries. Can you share those with us? Yeah, absolutely. So after World War I ended and the Treaty of Versailles, which ended that war, 
it caused some economic problems for Germany, to put it very, very, very mildly. <laughs> it pretty much crashed their economy. And so a lot of German people were leaving the country seeking economic opportunity elsewhere. And South America was a big place where they, they would emigrate. And so we have a couple of families that leave Germany and go to South America. One of them is the Lapelt family. They leave Bremen, Germany in the 1920s, early 1920s. And actually the reason that they leave is that the entire family, except for the father, has joined the church. And he does a little research before he moves and finds out that we're not in Brazil. And he says, the Mormons can't find me there. And so he moves his family <laughs> to Brazil. And what he didn't anticipate was Augusta, his wife, would continue to write letters, not only back to the the members in Germany, but she was also writing to Salt Lake and requesting that a mission be established <laughs> in Brazil because mm -hmm. there were members there. Mm -hmm. And she was also teaching her neighbors and she was bringing people in and they were, they were learning about the gospel from her. And at the same time, there's uh, two families that leave Germany and go to uh, Buenos Aires in Argentina, the Wilhelm Friedrichs family and the Emil Hoppe family. So the, the great thing here, though, is Wilhelm uh, Friedrichs speaks English. And so he's writing letters that are in English back to Germany and eventually to, to Salt Lake City. And the, the biggest thing that they're concerned about is that the Hoppe family has had a, a child, a little girl, and she died. She was only a few months old. And her mother, Sister Hoppe, is very concerned that her daughter will not be with them in the next life because she's not recorded on the records of the church. Hmm. And so they're writing about this. And, and part of the problem is that Wilhelm Friedrichs is a priest, so he doesn't have the Melchizedek priesthood, mm -hmm. and Emil Hoppe is a teacher. Mm -hmm. And that's the only priesthood that they have. So they can have the sacrament, but they can't have baptism, or I guess they can have baptism, but they can't have confirmation. Mm -hmm. They can they can't uh, other ordinances. Yeah, they limited. can't bless their children, mm -hmm. and so that's that's the concern. Eventually, this concern makes its way back to Charles Nibley in Salt Lake. At the time, he was the presiding bishop, but by the time things really get going, he's in the first presidency. Oh, okay. And so he says, let's send someone there. So they send Melvin J. Ballard, who's Elder Ballard's grandpa, who's an apostle at the time. And then uh, they send a couple of other people, one who speaks German, one who speaks Spanish, to this place. Most of their work is amongst the Germans, though, uh, early on. It's not until World War II that we make the transition from mostly German-speaking to Spanish-speaking or, mm -hmm. or, or Portuguese. Brazil, Portuguese. Mm -hmm. But they go there in 1925, and on December 25th, Elder Ballard uh, dedicates all of South America and he says that this is going to start like an acorn, very, very small and slow at first, but eventually it will be like an oak tree and a strength to the church. Mm -hmm. And that little group there eventually becomes the impetus for all of our missions in South America. It spreads from Argentina. So they send a German mission president, Reinhold Stuf, and he is the first mission president in Argentina. He eventually is the one who goes and finds the lapels and sends missionaries to them in Brazil. Okay. Eventually they divide into the Argentine and the Brazilian mission. Mm -hmm. um, and then all of South America uh, eventually has, mm -hmm. has missionaries and church members. And I had no idea. I did not know that that's how because it is the members in South and Central America are such a strength to the church, and I had no idea that yeah. that's how it began. And the two families in Buenos Aires actually lived a great distance from each other. It was it was hours by train, 
for them to meet. And so they'd alternate at each other's houses. And, and we have letters from them talking about how they had mandolins and that was the only thing to accompany their hymns. And, and just, they kept at it. And this, this one concern, this concern about a mother and her child mm-hmm. was the thing that brought that to the attention of the leaders of the church and eventually led to, to like you said, this is a place that is a strength to the church. Mm-hmm. Really and, small and simple yeah. beginnings, right? And with those missionaries, they, you said they went down to Brazil, mm-hmm. so they did find yeah. Robert LaPelt. Yeah, they did <laughs> yes. find Robert LaPelt. Eventually, he, after Augusta unfortunately passes away, he, he moves in with his daughter, and his daughter starts leaving church literature around <laughs> just on the off chance that he might read it, and he does. He starts reading it, and eventually he's read enough of the literature that he comes to his daughter, and he puts down his pipe on the table, and he says, I want to be with my wife where she is. And he, he's baptized. He's actually, he's, he's partially paralyzed at this point. He'd had a stroke. When they take him into the river, they actually carry him in his chair. They put him down in, in the river. They baptize him, and he walked out, and he was never paralyzed again. So, wow. Um, yeah, a, a few other miracles that are related to what's happened to this family. Wow. That's incredible. And we would have never known these things. I just love that we get the opportunity now mm-hmm. to discover, you know, these people. Another woman I was particularly inspired by, she was a convert to the church in Norway. Her name's Rigmor Heistu. And she stood up for her beliefs, but not only did she stand up for her beliefs, but she proactively confronted somebody about them. And I love that, though. She wasn't just standing up for her beliefs, but she was active in in sharing yeah. what she knew to be true. So Ryan, will you just tell tell us more about Rigmore's conversion story and then the blessings that came from her efforts? Yeah, absolutely. So Rigmore meets the missionaries in the 1960s, early 1960s. She's living a pretty comfortable life. Her husband is not interested at all. Their marriage isn't the, the happiest of marriages. And as soon as she starts investigating the church, he starts looking for negative literature. And so he finds a book about the church that's that's pretty negative by a man named Einar Molinar. And he reads it and starts sharing it with her and challenging what she's starting to believe. Mm-hmm. She reads it and decides that it's it's just not true. It's not in line with what she's being taught by the missionaries and what she feels when she's in the church. So she joins the church. Her husband doesn't, and after several years, they eventually are are divorced. And she decides to go back to college to get a degree so that she can support her children. And she's taking a religious studies class, and the professor stands up and is talking about how great the religious freedom is of Norway. And she challenges him on that, says "It's it's only to a certain extent that we have religious freedom. And after the class, she goes up and and wants to continue this conversation and finds out that her professor is personal friends with Einar Molinar. And so who wrote this this negative book that her husband had presented to her? Yeah, yeah, this book that had in some ways kind of wrecked her life for a little bit. And and she says, well, can I meet him? (laughs) So the professor sets up a meeting and she goes and in, in his office with Einar Molinar, she sits down and she says, where did you get all of those lies that you published about the church. And he says, well, I read them in books. They're all over in these libraries. And she said, so you went to a library over there when you could have gone 100 meters that way and talked to the mission president from our church. And he could have told you the truth. And eventually she's able to convince him that what he had said was not true and to 
get his permission to review the next edition of the book um, where she corrected some of the things that he had said about the church. Later on, actually, after she's graduated uh, uh, with her degree, she put together a group of scholars, mostly people who are members of all of the faiths that are in Norway, and she compiled a book called This We Believe, uh, in Norwegian, and I'm positive I'm saying that wrong. <laughs> but that book shares from a personal perspective the faith of, of the people of Norway. I just love it's her amazing. boldness. I, I mean, she's not you know, doing it in an argumentative way. And right. she's, ve- she's very educated, you know, she does it in a way that's saying, you know, this is the truth that I've come to know. And then she has these conversations and she left that meeting with Molinar. It said they were good friends in, right. the, in the history mm-hmm. that I read. And I just think that that's amazing. It's, it really shows the kind of person that she was and how convicted she was and just her boldness in, in sharing her beliefs. I right. love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you think of the impact, you know, that she had personally there and on those that would maybe then access this information Mm -hmm. or read other things that he'd written or, you know, read what she wrote in her book. And that's a huge impact in providing better information about the church for people, whether or not they would eventually become members. Right. Oh, she also said, I have never felt the spirit move me so much. And I thought that was incredible to have that kind of validation, you know, that that what she was doing was right and that would be beneficial, positive Mm -hmm. benefit to everyone else who would, you know, come across the information. And I love that too, because, you know, we often enter situations where we feel like we need to correct someone and we know that that's going to be a confrontational thing. Mm -hmm. But if we, if we come into it waiting for the spirit to move, then those situations end up being great, right? So that you can walk out of that situation where he's changed his mind where he's, he sees her as a friend and where he actually asks for her contribution mm-hmm. to the next edition. So mm. that's, it's incredible what the Spirit can do to touch hearts. Yeah. Absolutely. There's so many more stories that we could share. And yeah. so it's great that we can get on and study more stories, that we can learn more about more women. And I love if you have a personal connection to a country, you can, you can go find that country mm-hmm. and look it up. Or if you just want to learn more about the church in a country, it's its a wonderful resource. Yeah. So I think one important thing to talk about, Ryan, and something we want to make sure our listeners are thinking about is how members can use these stories, not just read them and think about them, but how can they be used in creating them? What was your intention for use? Uh, so uh, part of our intention was to, to give people a basic introduction to what the church is like in, in these various places. And, and so hopefully they can be used as stories to tell in your talks, in your Sunday school lessons, in your Relief Society meetings, share them with your children. I, I think the other thing is I, I hope in, in people's personal studies and in their lessons that, that they can learn more about the diversity, the diversity of the, the church, that we have members from all over the world from all walks of life, from every background you can think of, um, from every ethnic group that you can imagine. And they all come to the gospel with those things. And there are only a few things that we all have to accept. Core principles of the gospel, things like faith, repentance, and baptism. And we can bring all of those other things, those things that make us individuals, and we can all learn and grow and share more about one another and grow in love, you know, to be one as God has commanded us so that we are his. And I think that can teach us a lot. And I love too that these women did not have 
they didn't come, like you said, to the church with these perfect lives or perfect families. They came with things that were broken in some cases, you yeah. know, a, a daughter that had died or a, an unhappy marriage. Mm-hmm. And they came and, and the gospel yeah. brought them light, brought them truth, and they continued on and were pillars of strength in their countries. Yeah. So in Second Nephi, Nephi tells us that God speaks to our language and our understanding. And, and that's the thing that I've found more often than not is people will pray, people will be seeking, have these earnest seekers like the Chaporas um, and others that are all over the world, but God speaks to them in the way that is meaningful to them, just like he spoke to Joseph Smith through a seer stone, which to me would be not meaningful, but spoke to me at one point through a pop song, which would not be meaningful <laughs> to some other people, right? God speaks to us how we are most willing and able to hear him. And it doesn't matter where we're from. It doesn't matter who we are. Mm -hmm. Um, He is willing to speak to us how we need to be spoken to. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's an especially relevant message as we're commemorating the anniversary of the first vision, as we're hearing these messages of hear him to see and hear how other people have heard him and see that that is in a variety of ways Mm -hmm. through the spirit, that the spirit speaks to us in in unique and individual ways. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Ryan, for spending time with us today to talk about these remarkable women and their contributions and the great work you've done in making their stories available to the world. So thank you again for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Not not just me. There was a team. This is across our entire mm-hmm. department. So many people involved in this. Thank you yeah, to you and your you team. To thank them. you. And I just really, I really felt the spirit here listening to these stories and these people's experiences. So to our listeners, we hope that you also enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. And we'd love to hear from you. If you're enjoying these stories and these experiences of women, please take a moment to leave us a rating or review on whatever platform you get your podcasts. And also feel free to reach out to us if you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes. You can contact us at podcasts at churchofjesuschrist.org. And please share the podcast and this episode with your friends and family, especially if there was a story or anything that was shared today that was particularly meaningful to you. We would love for you to share that with the women in your lives. Until next time, I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. Thanks so much and have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.